0: Today on the Matt Wall Show, a ship named after the pederast Harvey Milk was christened by a transgender Navy veteran over the weekend. It was a very encouraging and inspirational spectacle to China. Also, eight people died during a rap concert is the performer to blame for that. And the sports media is uh, beside itself with outrage because Aaron Rodgers didn't get the COVID vaccine. Plus, SNL looks for comedy and abortion and only succeeds in proving the opposite point from what I think they were trying to prove. And our daily cancellation today will be once and for all canceling equality. It's time, and we have to do it. We'll do all that and much more today on The Matt Wall Show. You know, food prices are going up. uh, Gas prices are going up. Prices for everything are going up. And that's why, you know, any opportunity you get to save money, you've got to take advantage of. That's just a good, that's a good strategy for life in general, especially now with inflation. Uh, And I'll give you one one thing that'll make it really easy for you. It's called Get Upside. It's a new app, and uh, you can save money on gas every single time you fill up the tank. My listeners are making up to $0.25 for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store on Google Play or on Google Play right now. You can use promo code Walsh and get a bonus $0.25 per gallon on your first fill-up. That's up to $0.50 cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump ever again. Why should you? You can get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free. Use promo code Walsh to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. 25 cents a gallon after that. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two dollars to $300 a month in cash back, and there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account, and it's really as simple and easy as that. So what are you waiting for? Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code Walsh to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. That's code Walsh. Gay rights icon, Harvey Milk, was a child molester and a pederast known for shacking up with troubled teenage boys. One of his long-term boyfriends, and please note the air quotes around that term, was 16 years old, mentally ill and suicidal. Milk was in his mid-30s at the time of this relationship. Again, the air quotes. Um, The gay rights hero preyed upon boys of this kind. He brainwashed them. In fact, he had a real affinity for brainwashing as he was friends with and a defender of cult leader Jim Jones once writing a letter to Jimmy Carter, describing Jones as a, quote, man of the highest character. Milk had cult followers from the People's Temple working on his campaign, and most of them would go uh, just a few months later to commit mass suicide at a compound in South America. So that was Harvey Milk for you. But in spite of all this, in spite of Harvey Milk being essentially the Kevin Spacey of his time, but creepier, were meant to celebrate and honor him because he advanced the gay rights cause. He was a martyr for the cause, we're told, even though he was murdered, and he was murdered, but he was murdered w- when he was a city supervisor by a disgruntled employee for reasons that had nothing to do with homophobia. And the same guy also killed the mayor, who was straight. And you never hear about the mayor, poor guy. Nonetheless, Harvey Milk was gay, and uh, he was killed, and that's enough to make him into the Jesus Christ of the gay rights movement, a man who died for the homophobic sins of all mankind. Since then, the mythology of Harvey Milk, again, the middle-aged man who sexually preyed upon high school boys, has grown and expanded and been literally cemented into the public consciousness in the form of statues and memorials and all kinds of things. A few years ago, the post office proudly unveiled its new commemorative Harvey Milk stamps. And yesterday, a Navy ship, the USNS Harvey Milk, was christened in the San Diego Harbor, Uh, And there to do the honors was trans Navy veteran Paula Nira. Let's listen to that. Paula, would you please christen the ship? In the name of the United States of America, I christen thee Harvey Milk. May God bless the ship and all who sail in her. Okay, wonderful. And Paula there sounds and looks just like a woman, right? Now, the good news is that the USNS Harvey Milk will one day soon become a very inclusive and progressive coral reef at the bottom of the Pacific when it's destroyed by China in our coming war. Indeed, on the same day that a biological male named Paula was christening a ship named after a child molester, The Hill published an article revealing that our government is unnerved, quote-unquote, By China's growing military capabilities. From the article, it says, America's defense establishment has watched threats from Beijing rapidly grow in multiple areas, including recent hypersonic missile tests, an expanding nuclear arsenal, strides in space and cyber, and seemingly daily threats to Taiwan. Quote, we're witnessing one of the largest shifts in global geostrategic power the world has witnessed, Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman General Mark Milley said Wednesday when speaking about China's recent military advances. Well, they are clearly challenging us regionally and their aspiration is to challenge the United States globally. A potential shift in the global balance of power is worrisome to U.S. officials and lawmakers. Yes, worrisome. So worrisome that the Defense Department is preparing us for this inevitable confrontation with a world superpower by recruiting and promoting women, emphasizing tolerance and diversity, and focusing on the threat posed by the, you know, 25 white nationalists in the country, 23 of whom are federal agents, by the way. Worrisome indeed. But aside from the implosion of our military, which is right now collapsing under the weight of its own wokeness, it says something about our broader society that Harvey Milk is the kind of man we honor. You know, a person in San Diego, a spectator in San Diego over the weekend might have witnessed the coronation of the Harvey Milk love boat and then walked downtown to pay respects at the George Floyd Memorial. All in a day, you know, nice, nice day out on the town. These are the sorts of people we pay tribute to now. A cult-loving pederast and a violent felon. And it's not just that both men were deeply flawed and guilty of horrific evils, though they were. Is that neither achieved anything tremendously significant in their lives. And both are remembered today mainly because their deaths proved useful to the left. They are victims, and we are a culture which celebrates victimhood. Now, it would be, it would be bad enough if we were just tearing down the Columbus statues and military memorials, just taking the founders' names off of schools and so on, if this was a general reaction against quote-unquote problematic historical figures, problematic because they were men and not angels, sinners and not gods, and the end result was that we, we don't memorialize or honor or remember anyone out of an overabundance of shame for our fallen nature and a belief that no man can possibly be worthy of such treatment and death, If that was the case, it would be bad, and it would be unhealthy, and I would resist it. But it wouldn't be nearly as bad as what is actually occurring. See, we're not experiencing a simple erasure of history as much as a reordering of it. So we're not getting rid of Columbus, Jefferson, and Washington. We're replacing them, and all the rest of our traditional heroes as well. When Mount Rushmore is finally blown to smithereens, and it will be, new faces will be carved on the mountainside. It won't be left alone the new faces of George Floyd, Harvey Milk. It's hard to know who else will make the cut. I mean, the litmus test is that you must be worshiped by either BLM or the LGBT lobby, and you must have a compelling victim story, whether the story is true or not, and most of the time it isn't. It doesn't matter if you accomplished anything. Accomplishments of anything are discouraged. Virtue is irrelevant also. So what we find is that all cultures need their mythic heroes that's a need for a culture there's a reason why every human society since the dawn of civilization and possibly even before that has built monuments to its ancestors it's an irresistible human impulse that we all have we must have some idea about our past you know we cannot live in a pastless futureless void we have to know where we've been we have to see the footsteps in the sand so that we know where to go and what's true of individuals is also true of societies. You become what you admire. Until so recently, we followed the footsteps of great men who achieved great things. And so we continued to produce more great men who would blaze a path for the great men to come after them. But we don't care about greatness anymore. Actually, we hate it. Our heroes now are Harvey Milk and George Floyd. That's who we admire. Or are told to admire, and so that's who we will become. Now let's get to our five headlines. Well, as we get into the uh, holiday season, you're you, maybe you're maybe you're one of those people that thinks ahead of time for Christmas. What you, what gifts are going to get? Um, I'm, of course, more in the the realm of waiting until um, Christmas Eve or something. But if you think ahead, which you should, here's something to think about. Paint your life. Paint your life is a perfect gift. Um, You can get an original painting by a world-class artist done by hand from any photo at a very affordable price. Get a professional hand-painted portrait created again from any photo. Uh, All you have to do is very simple. You send a picture, any picture at all, your children, your family, yourself, or um, you could combine photos into one painting. Whatever it is, you send it over and uh, they will put it all together. This is a team of, of some of the best artists in the world and they will work with you to make sure that every detail is correct. I've done this a couple of times, I've gone through the process. I'm always surprised by how quick the process is and also how, how much opportunity you have for feedback and to let them know what you like, what you don't like. And um, it's a quick and easy pro- pro- uh, process. You get a hand-painted portrait in about three weeks at PaintYourLife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word MATT to 64000. That's MATT to 64000. Text MATT to 64000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Well, I hope you had a great, uh, a good, good weekend. At least good. Maybe not great. That set the bar a little high, but at least good. Uh, you had a pretty good weekend. I, I on, uh, not to brag about being a great husband or anything, but um, one of my anniversary gifts to my wife that I gave her was uh, on Saturday, you know, I said, go, I, I got her, booked her uh, a day at the spa and I told her to go to, go to the spa and she did. And so I, I took over with all the kids and, um, you know, we, we, we had a lot of fun. We, for example, we just kind of went into the garage to look for random things to, to play with. And we found um, some old uh, plastic storage bins. And my, my kids said, can we take the plastic storage bins out back on the, on the grassy hill and try to sled down the grass in the storage bins? And so that, that was like two and a half hours of fun. Um, and the other thing we did is we played hide and seek. And I play hide and seek with my kids all the time. Um, and, 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 you know, up until now, the thing I liked about playing hide and seek with my kids is that I always win and i would and i'm i'm it might, might not surprise you to learn i'm not one of those dads that lets the kids win that, like you're i'm not going to let you win you got to beat me and so i'm probably like 200 up until today up, up until this weekend i was 200 no as a as a as a hide and seek player against my kids but now they've gotten older and they're playing the game on a more psychological level so it was my turn to hide and i was hiding so i picked a i picked a great hiding spot i'd already planned it out i was in this great hiding spot they were never going to find me and then I hear this this loud bang down in the uh, down in the living room, and my son starts screaming out that he's hurt himself. He's like screaming and crying, I hurt myself. And so I come running out to check on him, and he says, Ha ha, just kidding. So he he was pretending to hurt himself to flush me out of my hiding spot. And I thought, You little this this is I'm here playing checkers, and now you're playing 40 chess. That's that's, that's psychological warfare, and I fell for it. And then they tried it again the next time I was hiding. They went in the kitchen and started banging around and saying, Daddy, we're playing with the knives. That time I did not come out. I was, I was wagering that they were just kidding about playing with the butcher knives. Unfortunately, they were. But even if they weren't, that was a risk I was willing to take. All right, we'll start with this from The Daily Wire. It says, a sold-out Houston music festival attended by an estimated 50,000 people Turned deadly on Friday night after a headliner began to perform. The Associated Press reported the crowd gathered for the two-day event in NRG Park at Astro World. Uh, they suddenly surged toward the stage during a performance by rapper Travis Scott, and he was not just the performer at this uh, Astro World event. This it's his event. He puts the event on. I believe he has a, an album named called Astro World. So this is this is his event that he puts on, and. Um, It says, quote, they started surging towards the stage, squeezing fans so tightly together that they could not breathe or move their arms and killing eight people in the chaos, hospitalizing several others. According to the outlet, as a timer clicked down to start the performance, the crowd pushed forward. Uh, Nick Johnson, a high school student who attended the concert, told the AP, everyone was passing out around you. Everyone was trying to help each other, but you couldn't move. You couldn't do anything. You can't even pick your arms up. It just got worse and worse. Now, keep in mind, eight people and I mean this is this has a been a, a pretty big story in the news. I don't know how it's not a bigger story than than, than it's being treated. Eight people, mostly kids died at a concert but remember you know uh, prior to to this, what I think was considered the deadliest and most um, catastrophic music festival ever was Woodstock 99. Um, and, uh, and in that, I, I believe that was like a, a two or three day festival. There was 100, 200,000 people there and three or four people died. And it was a big deal at the time. I can remember it distinctly. You had three or four deaths with that many people. This is eight people in a crowd of 50,000 in a span of a couple hours died. Uh, officials called off the event about 40 minutes after law enforcement had observed concerts, concert goers going down. Authorities said a mass casualty incident had occurred at 9.38 p.m. According to the Houston Chronicle, concert attendees said Scott appeared to play his whole set and finished at 10.15 p.m. And uh, Travis Scott is uh, the boyfriend or whatever. I don't think they're married of Kylie Jenner, one of the Kardashians. Um, there, there's... There are a lot of weird reports coming out of this concert, and I, I don't know how much of it is true or not. One thing that you heard early on, kind of the rumor circulating online, is that people were being injected with some unknown substance. And this has been at least partially confirmed. There was a, there was a security guard who was briefly rendered unconscious after feeling a prick uh, on his neck. And then he was, they, they woke him up and they found markings where he had been injected by somebody. And there were also reports of many, uh, at least several people going into cardiac arrest. It's not clear if that happened during this surge or before it, or if it had something to do with what sparked it to begin with. But you had people being injected with drugs, apparently, other people being trampled to death, and the videos that you see online now, and I'm not going to play them, but you can go, you can go find these videos. There's many of them circulating. Travis Scott is up there continuing the performance. Now early on I read reports saying that he stopped he stopped multiple times to try to tell the crowd to back up. That was the report anyway, that's the claim. I have not seen any videos of Travis Scott stopping the concert. Doesn't mean he didn't do it. I haven't seen those videos. The videos I've seen show Travis Scott up on the stage while there are kids collapsing all around and medics rushing into the crowd and he's he's continuing to perform. But now he says that he's very upset about it, and uh, and he put out a kind of a statement on Instagram the next day talking about how devastated he is, and uh, I don't know. you watch this and tell me if you find it to be sincere. I just want to send out prayers to the to the ones that was lost last night. We're actually working right now to identify the families so we can help assist them through this tough time. You know, my fans, my fans like, my fans really mean the world to me and I always just really wanna leave them with a positive experience. And anytime I can make out, you know, anything that's going on, you know, I I stop the show and, you know, help them get the help they need, you know? Um, I could just never imagine the severity of the situation. Yeah, I, I find the, his reaction uh, somewhat unsettling. I, I, don't, I don't really... Eight people just died in front of you, man, at, at your concert. Eight kids were just trampled to death, and this is this is his reaction? It sounds like he's... You know, it's, it, this sounds like the kind of statement that you have if, uh, if you had to cancel a concert or something because something happened and people were, you know, and you had to issue a bunch of refunds and people were inconvenienced. And so I could see that. Yeah, really, really sorry about that. Uh, you know, really, really, really unfortunate. The, when I watch that, especially as he's it's he, not taking his hands off his head the entire time. That's kind of a tell also that someone's not being entirely sincere. You know, they, they keep rubbing their face and everything. So he's got all those tells, but it, it, it's, and, and he, he does it in black and white. He takes the time to, change the filter on it to make it black and white. This is someone, it seems to me, trying to seem devastated and saying that they're devastated, but doesn't really seem that way to me. One thing you have to remember about Travis Scott, some background on this guy, is that he has a history of riling up the crowd at his concerts, intentionally encouraging them to rush through security barricades. Now, I don't know if he did that during this concert, but he has a history of doing that. I've read some accounts from security guards who've worked Travis Scott concerts, and how he'll kind of turn against them during the concert and encourage fans to bum rush them. There's another video, very disturbing, from a few years ago where where he was uh, Travis Scott was crowd surfing, and some kid in the and he looked like he was fourteen or fifteen years old, maybe younger. Some kid grabs his shoe, I don't know if intentionally or not, and then Travis Scott loses his mind on this kid and and starts calling for the crowd to you know f him up and to beat the kid up for taking his shoe enlisting a crowd of people who are many of them already drunk on drugs they're kind of out of their minds because that's that's the environment at these kinds of concerts it's an environment intentionally designed to make people sort of lose their senses and he's sicking this, this mob on this kid because it, it took his shoe. Meanwhile, I'm sure this guy has 500 pairs of shoes at his house. Along with a couple dozen backstage for all of his outfit changes, wardrobe changes. So that's the kind of guy he is. Um, which means I put all that together and I, you know, I put this on him. I don't know how... I put this on him at least to the extent that you blame Alec Baldwin for shooting the cinematographer. I mean, it, it wasn't just his fault, there were other people involved, but you're the one holding the gun and you didn't check it, and so this falls on you. Travis Scott, this is your concert. It's up to make you to make sure everything is safe. At the very least, if eight people die, it means that this was a massive failure in planning and logistics and making sure you had enough security there. And that goes to you. You throw an event and eight people die because, the, at, at a minimum because, because of poor planning. Yeah, this guy should be arrested and charged already. Shouldn't even be a discussion. And then you add into that all the, you see some of the, the pictures from the, from the event and you hear some of the accounts and there's a lot of just weird satanic imagery everywhere uh, I was listening to one account from a girl that was there saying that it was just, and she's not, she said that she's not religious, but it felt weird and satanic even to her, even the kind of music they were playing. And all of this stuff is designed to make, as I said, it, it kind of makes people lose their senses, lose their mind in, in a certain way. Uh, and it's designed to have that effect. And then you add in all the drugs and everything, even more so. Um, All right, let's move on to this. Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, got COVID. And the assumption immediately, once he was diagnosed with COVID, is, well, well, that means that he wasn't vaccinated. Which, that's not a safe assumption, because we know that vaccinated people get COVID all the time. In this case, it turns out that, yeah, he wasn't vaccinated. Now, he had previously said earlier, or before the season, when he was asked about it, he said that he'd been immunized. But um, he didn't specifically say that he got the vaccine. Everyone took that to mean that he got the vaccine. And now it turns out that he didn't. He admitted that he didn't get it. And this has made the media very, very upset at Aaron Rodgers. He is public enemy number one in sports. And so if you watched football yesterday or over the weekend, you saw a lot of segments like this. Here's Terry Bradshaw, former quarterback himself in the NFL, now a, a NFL commentator. Um, here he is addressing Aaron Rodgers and, and Terry Bradshaw is like on the verge of tears because Aaron Rodgers didn't get vaccinated. Let's listen to this. I give Aaron Rodgers some advice. It would have been nice if he would just come to the Naval Academy and learned how to be honest. Yeah. 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 Learn, to, learn not to lie because that's what you did, Aaron, you lied to everyone. I understand immunized. What you were doing was taking stuff. That would keep you from getting COVID-19. You got COVID-19. Ivermectin is a cattle dewormer. Sorry, folks. That's what it is. We are a divided nation politically. We're a divided nation on the COVID-19, whether or not to take the vaccine. And unfortunately, we've got players that pretty much think only about themselves. And I'm extremely disappointed in the actions of Aaron Rodgers. I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. You lied to us, Aaron. You lied to us. Uh, do you think maybe if he did lie, and I'm not saying I necessarily agree with that characterization, but if he did, maybe it's because you're not owed the truth, Terry Bradshaw. Why should you be told? If I if I lie to you about my medical history, it's because you have no business knowing that. If someone on the street comes up to me and says, hey, have you, have you taken this drug or got this medicine? Uh, I, I could say whatever I want. Sure, I took it. You don't have any moral right to be angry if you find out that I wasn't telling the truth later. You lied to me. Well, how, how? it's none of your business. Why are you asking the question? Why is it Terry Bradshaw's business whether Aaron Rodgers got the vaccine? We're so accustomed to this now, to demanding that people reveal their medical history, at least as it, as it concerns COVID, that many people have come to see this as, as normal. It's not. It's none of your damn business. If Aaron Rodgers lied to me as a member of the public about his vac- vaccination status, I don't care, because I don't care if he got the vaccine or not to begin with. Okay, the thing about um, the thing about the truth is that, given the uh, the circumstance, you're not always owed the truth. Like there are private pieces of information about a person's life and their history, and the things they do with their body, where that's that's not a truth that you're owed. They don't owe that truth to you. Now, whether that justifies lying, well, that's a whole ethical, interesting debate that we can have. But you certainly are not, Terry Bradshaw is not owed that piece of information. And meanwhile, you can't help but make the comparison here, because Aaron Rodgers is getting... Killed by sports media right now, and you also have to understand that this is it. it it's pretty rare for them to do it. It takes it usually takes a lot for, N, for NFL commentators and for ESPN to go after the most high-profile stars. And one of the reasons why they usually don't do it is because they're all friends, and so it's awkward. And so that's that's why they don't criticize each other. But also because these are you know Aaron Rodgers makes Terry Bradshaw a lot of money because he's an NFL commentator and people tune in. People don't tune in to to hear NFL commentators for them. If people are interested in football, then they're going to be interested in what the commentators have to say. Aaron Rodgers is one of the guys that makes people interested in football. So he's a highly bankable star. He makes a lot of money for all these people. They all know him and are friends with him. And, uh, and so normally they let a lot slide. It is pretty unusual to hear something like what you just heard. It's so unusual that um, when another NFL superstar quarterback by the name of Deshaun Watson of the Houston Texans, when he was accused of rape by like 20 women or more than 20 women, we have not seen any moments like what you just saw there with Terry Bradshaw. They talk about, it is discussed a little bit, And they're very circumspect about it. And they say, well, we got to do the investigation and we'll see this and that. And there haven't been any moments like that. Um, Henry Ruggs is a, a NFL wide receiver of the Las Vegas Raiders. Last weekend, he got drunk and drove his car 156 miles an hour and slammed into another car and killed somebody. And there were no moments like that. So the sports media are far, far, far more angry at Aaron Rodgers for not getting the COVID vaccine than they are at Deshaun Watson for raping 20 women, allegedly. And we've we got to throw the allegedly on that, except that there's, again, like 20 women have come out against him, all of them massage therapists, and all of them telling basically the same story. And when that happens, I think you could basically drop the allegedly, Okay. Now you've got it's it's twenty to one, and they're all telling the same story. There's a, there's a real pattern here. Um, so, Deshaun Watson allegedly raping uh, twenty women. Henry Ruggs killing somebody last week. But sports media far 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 more angry at Aaron Rodgers for not getting the COVID vaccine. And before anyone attempts some desperate maneuvering here by by saying, well. Aaron Rodgers could kill, he could he could kill way more than just one person by not getting the vaccine. Except that if you're vaccinated, as we've said a million times, if you are vaccinated and you trust the vaccine, then you shouldn't have to worry about Aaron Rodgers infecting you. Unless the vaccine doesn't work, in which case, why should Aaron Rodgers get it? And if you're not vaccinated, then that's a choice you've made. That's a risk you've decided to take. And you still can't get mad at Aaron Rodgers. So no matter what, there's, there's no grounds to be mad at Aaron Rodgers. Unless you're trying to be an ethical purist here. And, and the reason you're angry is that he lied to us. Yeah, he lied to you. Deshaun Watson raped 20 women. So I don't know. You decide You decide who, who we should be taking a task here more. Um. Staying on the vaccine subject, White House chief of staff Ron Klain, uh, trying to justify the vaccine mandate, made a, a, a very interesting—by interesting, I mean stupid—analogy. Let's listen. I'm quite confident that when this finally gets fully adjudicated, not just a temporary order, right. uh, the the validity of this requirement will be upheld. It's common all sense, right. Chuck. If OSHA can tell people to wear a hard, hard hat on the job, right. to be, be careful on chemicals, it can put, put, put in place these simple measures to keep our workers safe. We will find out if the courts agree. A, a hard hat. Okay, Ron, let me explain a few differences here. First of all, um, if you are working a construction site, then most likely you're a relatively young male and most likely you're in pretty good physical shape, which means that COVID poses very, very little risk to you. However, a large object falling on your head, even if you are a young physically fit man, um, that will still kill you or at least cause brain damage. So on a construction site, the risk from a falling object is much, 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 much greater than the risk of COVID. So, that's one of the reasons why you wear a hard hat. Also, the other thing about a hard hat is uh, you put it on your body and then you could take it off. It's not a substance you inject into your body. Now, Ron Klein, just looking at him and his physique, doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who's done a lot of construction or spent a lot of time outside. Um, so, maybe he doesn't really understand how hard hats work, but that's what they are. It's a hat that you put on, you can put and take it right back off. Um, so th- this is not a requirement that people inject a substance into their body. A hard hat serves a certain purpose. And you know the thing about a hard hat, no side effects that you have to worry about. None at all. You don't have to worry about any long-term side effects, any short-term. Except it gives you hat hair. Okay, so that's the side effect of a, of a, of a uh, hard hat is that it gives you hat hair and your, your hair looks a little bit weird when you take it off. That's the side effect. As opposed to any any drug that you put in your body, there are going to be many more significant side effects than that potentially for any drug that you take, to include the COVID vaccine. Um, but th- this is they've they, they've been grappling around for analogies. Really, this whole this whole time, hard hat, or a lot of times you'll hear the well, it's like wearing a seatbelt thing. But there's no analogy that they can... None of the analogies work. Because all the analogies they reach for, they're looking at, you know, temporary minor measures where you're doing something, you're taking a a safety measure for a specific purpose. Um, And the amount that it mitigates your risk is a measurable thing. And it's just, it's not analogous to taking a drug. And especially to the government forcing you to take a drug. One other clip I want to play kind of on the same um, point here. Do we even have this? I think we do. Oh, yeah, we do. Rochelle Walensky. She's the CDC director. And um, as we, you know, get into flu season and everything, now she's suggesting that, hey, even if you're not worried about COVID, maybe you should still wear the mask for the sake of uh, protecting yourself against the flu. The evidence is clear. Masks can help prevent the spread of COVID-19 by reducing your chance of infection by more than 80%. Whether it's an infection from the flu, from the coronavirus, or even just the common cold. In combination with other steps like getting your vaccination, hand washing, and keeping physical distance, wearing your mask is an important step you can take to keep us all healthy. Get vaccine fixed. We can do this. Okay, cool. So just wear the vaccine or wear the uh, the mask until we've cured the common cold, and then you'll be good to take it off. Why didn't the CDC ever suggest this before? Did Rachel Walensky and the CDC did, did they just discover that the cold exists uh, or that the flu exists? Did, did they did the existence of viruses that can be transmitted through the air have they have they just discovered that or did they just now realize that masks you know, did they not know about medical masks in the past? If it's a simple, no big deal measure, um, why was it never suggested before COVID? But this was a conspiracy theory before, remember? If I suggested or you suggested, as many of us did, predicted that the mass, this is going to become a... A, a lifestyle thats that they're going to try to impose on us from the top permanently where you have to cover your face forever because COVID is all of the reasons given for wearing a mask because of COVID, all of those reasons apply to the cold and they apply to the flu and everything else. And if they were making that argument for that, then they're going to say they're going to say it for the flu and they're going to say it for the for, for the cold. Only when we made that argument in the past, up until right now, that was a conspiracy theory. And now you have the CDC coming out and saying exactly that. So that's the way it always works. All right, next, SNL um, had some hilarious abortion content on Saturday night. It's from the report from the Daily Beast. It says Saturday, Saturday Night Live's weekend update had a lot of ground to cover this week, especially given that Ice Cube, a celebrity whom Keenan Thompson has perfectly impersonated before, lost out on a uh, nine million dollar acting gig in the Sony, Sony comedy. Oh, hell no, because he refused to get vaccinated. OK, but who cares? Um, skipping ahead. It says the real standout was and this is an article that's they're very much impressed with this bit. They're taking a positive view of it. The real standout was Goober, a clown played by Cecily Strong and styled to look a lot like Lunette from the children's series, The Big Comfy Couch. The reason for her appearance to respond to the stringent Texan law that effectively bans abortion after six weeks, because just one day before she turned 23, she had a clown abortion. So that's the character. She is a clown who had an abortion, and um, this is supposed to be funny. Let's watch a little bit and find out if it is. The Supreme Court heard arguments this week in Women's Whole Health v. Texas about the controversial Texas law that essentially bans all abortions after just six weeks. Here to cheer us up, well, this can't be right, Goober the Clown, who had an abortion when she was 23. Hey, 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 I'm Goober the Clown. So... Goober, you you had an abortion when you were 23? Hey, whoa, slow down. I'm a clown, let's clown around. Hey, smell this flower. You're not gonna squirt me, are you? Oh, I would never. Okay. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. I had an abortion the day before my 23rd birthday. Okay. It, it seems like you do want to talk about your abortion. Well, actually, I really don't, but people keep bringing it up, so I got to keep talking about freaking abortion. But it's a rough subject, so we're going to do fun clown stuff to make it more palatable. Whee! Hey, who wants a balloon animal? You want a giraffe? Okay. Jay? <laughs> you, you don't have to do this, Cecily. Cecily? I'm Goober. And I wish I didn't have to do this, because the abortion I had at 23 is my personal clown business. But that's all some people in this country want to discuss all the time, even though clown abortion was legalized in Clown v. Wade in 1973 here. (laughs) Hmm. I mean, as always with SNL, the most offensive thing about it by far is that it's supposed to be a comedy show, and it's just not funny at all. it certainly, I'd have to acknowledge, there's a real challenge when you're trying to make a funny joke about the slaughter of 60 million children. That's not an easy thing to do. I'm not sure that there are any funny jokes you can make about it. But that definitely wasn't it. Um, and in, you know, we hear from, from, the cl- the, from the goober, the clown. Well, I, and this is what we always hear. This is the, the line we always hear from pro-abortion Especially the feminists. Well, I don't want to talk about. Why do you guys keep talking about abortion? No, but but you, you do want to talk about. it. It's all feminists ever do is talk about their abortions. Like they walk they walk through the street shouting, "I got an abortion, everyone! I got an abortion! Let me tell you about my abortion." But then, as always, if you say, "Well, you know, I really don't think you should have got that abortion. That's not a good thing." Why are you talking about my abortion? This is my business. Why are you so obsessed with it? Why are you obsessed with my body? I'm not even. Sh- I'm not sure even what point they were were trying to reach here because I take two points away from it from this bit. One, the most direct thing, the most obvious implication here is that abortion advocates are clowns, and I agree with that. Um, but then there's also, you know, what you find here is this kind of classic image of the uh, you know the, the tears of the clown, right? The clown who puts on this kind of wacky persona and they put the wig on, they put the nose on and everything, but they're hiding their deep despair. That's the classic image of of the clown. And that is, in fact, what lots of post abortive women do. Especially post abortive women who are shouting their abortions, the feminists, the probe, the abortion advocates. Okay? You spend any time, you go to a conference of, of. You know, a feminist conference, Planned Parenthood or something. I wouldn't recommend it. But you're going to find nothing but the, but Goober the Clown there. A bunch of Goobers running around. All of them talking about how great it is that they got an abortion. How happy they are about their abortions. Isn't it so wonderful? But this is an act of massive overcompensation. They're trying to hide the, the deep despair and loneliness that they feel. So is that, was that the point? Is that what they were, I, I don't think that's what they were reaching for, but that's it's actually a very good point. In, in some ways, it's kind of a powerful bit, but in exactly the opposite way that they intended. Abortion advocates are clowns in general. And yes, this is what this is what a lot of these feminists do. They've got the um, you know it's kind of like the, the the classic meme that you see online of the guy holding up the smiley mask, but behind it he's crying. That's that's it right there. That's that is feminism, especially feminism when it comes to abortion advocacy. Because there's really no way, to, this, despite how they try to fool themselves and, and, and the rationalizations that they come up with. You know, there, there's, there's just nobody who, especially as they get older and they get to the end of their life, I, I can tell you this, there's not a single feminist on their deathbed who had an abortion or one or two or three or five abortions or whatever, who's going to be lying there on their deathbed and saying, oh man, I am so glad I got that abortion. Thank God I got that abortion. Thank God I'm not leaving any progeny behind. Thank God I'm leaving no legacy. Thank God I'm laying here alone with no one to mourn me. Because the only people who would have mourned me, I killed. I can guarantee you there's not one single feminist saying that. That's all. It's always a good litmus test. It's a good way to decide if you're making the right choice or not is to just imagine, okay, I make this choice 50 years from now or 60 years from now, hopefully if it's that long, and I'm laying on my deathbed, am I going to be happy about this choice that I'm making right now? And if the answer is obviously no, then probably not a good choice to make. You know, well, there's a, a, a lot of women who have, and it's certainly in the future, just generations of, of women who are going to die alone, with no one to love them, leaving no legacy behind, leaving no imprint on the world at all. It's pretty sad. That's a, that is that is a very sad thing. Um, all right, let's finally finish with this. A little bit, uh, a little bit more lighthearted. This is from the Daily Mail. It says this is the report anyway. Again, I, I report, you decide. Okay. It says. He's supposed to be committed to reducing emissions, but when President Joe Biden produced a little natural gas of his own at the COP26 summit, it was audible enough to make the Duchess of Cornwall blush. Uh, An informed source has told the Mail on Sunday that Camilla was taken aback to hear Biden break wind as they made polite small talk at the global climate change gathering uh, last week. The source said, quote, it was long and loud and impossible to ignore. Camilla hasn't stopped talking about it. So, you know, I don't, I don't know what's going on. It's almost like we, it's almost like there's a 78 year old man in office. I'm not sure, but he's, this guy, according to the reports anyway, he's, he's just and farting all over Europe. It's a real problem here. Especially with, you know, with, with pollution being the being, being as bad as it is. He's, he has crop dusted all of Europe. What what's what's happening? Well, again, I know what's happening. He's a, he's an old man. And there's no way Like there's no there's no. And I'm, I'm just trying to imagine, first of all, I, I need to know more about this. OK, because even in the Daily Mail report, I read the whole report with great interest and then it kind of moves on and it talks about the climate change. Something. It doesn't it doesn't give us any more information. I need to know more. Because Joe Biden is standing there allegedly and he lets out this massive fart. That goes on for minutes, apparently. does Is there a pause in the conversation? Or does he blow through it and keep talking, pretending that it's not happening? Is there any acknowledgement of the fart after the fact? It sounds like he does this a lot. You know, hopefully he's he's kind of got accustomed. He, he knows what, what tactics to use to distract from what's just happened. I don't know. A lot more information that we need. But this this just makes us proud as Americans doesn't it? No, one one weekend, he uh, poops his pants in front of the Pope. Allegedly, the very next weekend, he's farting in front of the Duchess of Cornwall, of all people. Makes me very pl- proud to be an American. All right, now time for the comment section. Daily cancellations are the Jim says, I'd like Matt to acknowledge that he occupied stolen land in Loudoun County in that lady's basement. That's, that land was not stolen. That was that was given to me fair and square. So there will be no land acknowledgement for, from me in, in reference to Loudoun County. Ethan says, Matt is definitely the type to text back K and not think anything of it. Um, I would never do that. I would spell it out. Well, I would, okay. You know, the letter O and then K. I don't, I don't, because uh, I, I, I don't, I don't speak that way. Okay. I text the way that I speak. So I'm not going to say to someone, "Kay." I'll say this whole thing, but I'll, I'll certainly will, will have no problem with that. I'll just text back. Oh, that's what I like about text messages. I'll do the same thing with emails too. All the time. I'll respond to an email. Yeah. Because if the email is a question, hey, you know, Matt, I hope you're doing well. I hope this and that and how are your kids doing? And by the way, here's my question. My answer back will be, uh, yeah, or no. End of, end of email. Send because that's the whole advantage of email and texting is that I don't need to do any of that small talk. Um, Mark says, Matt, I was thinking you should get a second dog so yours has a buddy to play with. No, that's, that's, that's the last thing that we need. You know, we're, we're actually having a, a problem with the, with the dog. At least it's a problem for me. I'm gonna throw this out there if there's any dog whispers, this is a serious thing. If there's any dog whispers in the audience, maybe you can give me your, your insight. So the issue is, I think I, I I mentioned this like a month ago that we get we, you know we got the dog we adopted the dog, and then we had the dog for three days and then I went away for a week, um, and I came back, and every time I walk in the room the dog would bark at me because it's like he bonded with his pack and I'm and I wasn't in the pack, and now we're, it's a month later it has not changed. So my wife started saying, well maybe you need to feed the dog and give him treats and you know so you're constantly groveling and sucking up to this mangy beast in the house and I said you know what I'm, I'm so tired of getting barked at I will do that so I feed the dog I give him treats come here little boy here's your, here's your, here's your treat and um, maybe I'm being sarcastic about it and that's maybe he's picking up on that I don't know but it hasn't changed it's actually gotten worse every time I walk into a room now he barks it's like he has not I'm, I have not earned my place in the pack in my own house um So if anyone has any, in all seriousness, if anyone, because it's ruining my life. So if you have any suggestions on what to do about that, let me know. Tracy says, I'm sitting here dumbfounded as to how people could just know someone for three hours and do that. Hookups are an insane practice. Referring back to the Dave Portnoy thing. Um, Yeah, hookup culture. Well, But you know something, Tracy. The fact that you would not want to be sexually active with someone who you just met and have known for three hours, that now puts you that's that's its own sexuality I think that's what they call demisexuality now you're a demisexual did you know that? if you prefer to have a you know, some kind of emotional involvement with someone at least to, to know something about them if, if that's even bear, let alone you want to be married first Now we call now that is a, you've got your own letter in the LGBT alphabet you're a demisexual whether you want it or not you know that that has become that used to be, Well, you're a normal, healthy person, but now that's just one variation. That's one sexual variation among millions and they're all equal. Um, Jack says, Matt, after seeing your most recent anniversary, anniversary slash vacation photos, has it occurred to you that the only retort necessary to defeat all of your internet adversaries is have you seen my wife? I win. Um, yeah, I do. I, you know, I, I do have a very attractive wife, which, which I do think. But I try not to use that in arguments because it would be weird to do. But I, I do think that sometimes. Um, and uh, let's see. Yo, yo, yo says, I feel your pain, Matt. I bought my girlfriend a nice bottle of white wine and she poured seven up into it. I was literally speechless. Poured seven up. In the, is that even is that a thing that people do? That to me seems like a breakup offense. You know, my wife, we're married. The fact that she wasted my very nice bourbon by putting in tea—that's that's the kind of thing you work through. We're going to counseling for it right now. Um, but seven up and wine to me, especially—it's—it's it's early on. That's kind of like a red flag. I already—you know—I've—I've I've been with my wife for ten years. I know this was a momentary lapse of judgment. Normally, she has a great amount of respect for whiskey. She would never normally do that. So. I have all of that background, but if you're just dating someone and they're pouring seven up in their white wine, I hate to say, but I think that's, I think that you got to cut that rope. I, I, I hate to say. As you heard last week, the Daily Wire made one of the biggest announcements it will ever make that it's filing a lawsuit against the federal government. This is an unprecedented move for the Daily Wire, but staring down the face of an increasingly authoritarian president leaves no other options. Our senile leader has ordered that large employers must require their employees to get vaccinated against COVID or submit to regular testing. The Daily Wire's lawsuit was filed by the uh, Dillon Law Group and Alliance Defending Freedom. They do a lot of great work and they're helping us with this. In the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit, the lawsuit alleges that the Biden administration lacks constitutional and statutory authority to issue the employer mandate, which would seem they obviously do. Because, look, this mandate is absolutely unconstitutional and we're not standing for it here at The Daily Wire. But we need your help if you want to stand up against this tyranny alongside us then become a Daily Wire member today go to dailywire.com/subscribe enter code do not comply at checkout and you'll receive 25% off your membership you'll also be helping us fight this unconstitutional mandate also as always we have more exciting news here at the Daily Wire we're launching Daily Wire Now which means that you'll be able to stream all of your favorite Daily Wire shows on Vizio SmartCast you can tune in to watch Candace discuss current events with guests ranging from Donald Trump to Dana White or catch one of your favorite hosts, uh, you know, like, for example, me or, or me. Uh, there's always something interesting to stream. Watch Daily Wire now exclusively on Vizio. Watch free plus streaming app on channel 162 to access the content you love. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, only on Vizio Smartcast. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today we're going to cancel Equality. And this has been a long time coming. Equality has been asking for it. And now the moment has arrived. Of course, every day there's some new lunacy concocted in the name of equality. You can just Google the word equality on any given day and you'll be guaranteed to find a headline like this one. Here's just the most recent example. From the New York Post, it says, UK primary schools ask boys to wear skirts to promote equality. Reading on, it says, a grade school in Scotland asked male and female students and teachers to wear skirts to class to promote equality. We want our school to be inclusive and promote equality. An email from Castleview Primary. In Edinburgh said to parents, the Daily Mail reported on Wednesday, boys as young as three years old were asked to participate by wearing a skirt. Uh, It says, we're keen to spread the message that clothes don't have a gender and that we should all be free to express ourselves as we choose. Teachers wrote in a message to parents according to the outlet. Now, equality here is just the cover story as is so often the case. An adult who asks a little boy to put on a skirt has no doubt other intentions and motivations He's probably a pedophile, is what I'm trying to say, in case I wasn't being clear enough with the insinuation. But this is still one more instance of the sort of madness that the West's obsession with equality has wrought. It seems to be infecting schools, especially. Some school systems have done away with grading systems because of equality. They've abolished gifted and talented programs in the name of equality. Equality has put an end to most of the games we used to play in recess and gym class. Of course, equality is what has uh, opened the girls' bathroom to boys. Equality has wreaked havoc in education. And there's a reason why the education system in in particular is concerned with equality. We'll get to that in a minute. But this extends far beyond education. Everywhere, our society is being restructured around the concept of equality. And along with its dysgenic offspring, equity, tolerance, inclusion, all of them, all kind of related. Currently, the Equality Act is working its way through Congress, a piece of legislation which seeks to legally abolish once and for all the biological differences between the sexes. But those differences cannot be abolished. So instead, we will simply be forbidden from noticing or acknowledging or in any way acting upon or in response to those differences. So overall, it's clear that we are an equality-obsessed culture. Before we talk about why equality obsession is bad, it should be, and I think it would be illuminating and useful to discuss why the obsession exists in the first place. Where did it come from? You know, why Why are this, society's past, you go you go through human history, um, you, you didn't have this. Um... But why why for us? Why are we so obsessed with equality? That's that's a large question, not one that I can answer completely during this segment. But here are two major factors. First, we are a self-obsessed, narcissistic culture. And equality, ironically, is a major concern of self-obsessed, narcissistic people. Because they wield equality as a negative force. They're constantly worried that other people are advancing beyond them, succeeding more than them, getting more out of life. And so they call for equality as a means to chop everybody back down to their level. You'll notice that so often the person calling for equality is not calling for others to be raised up to his level, but for everyone to be lowered down to his level. Equality is kind of a weed whacker, cutting the blades of grass that grow higher than the rest. And it's often the lower blades pointing to the higher ones and saying, get him, cut him down to size. It's not fair that he's growing faster and higher than me. We know that leftism is the religion of self-worship. It's an ideology of narcissism, and so it's no surprise that a society dominated by leftism would also be preoccupied with equality, with especially negative equality of this kind. The second factor can be found on the other end of the spectrum. It kind of approaches from the opposite direction. While equality is very often a tool used by narcissistic losers to prevent others from succeeding, it can also be born from confused and misplaced empathy. So Like I said, this is kind of the opposite thing here. This is where much of the equality in the school system originates. Not the Scottish kids wearing skirts. As I said, that's just pervert teachers using equality as a cover. But the erasing of grades, the abolition of playground games, um, the abolition of gifted and talented programs and so on. That is all, at least partly, misdirected empathy. And you find it in the school system so prominently because the school system is run by women. Okay, this is the part that Media Matters is going to love. So make sure you click this part, guys. Equality is, in many ways, a feminine virtue. It's a woman's virtue. It's something women tend to care about much more than, much more than men. Women are more worried about you know, making sure that things are fair, that things are equal, that nobody feels bad about themselves, and nobody gets hurt emotionally or physically. That, that's something that, that women tend to cons- be concerned about um, much more than men. Men are more competitive. They're more results-oriented. They're much more likely to take a, you know, may the best man win approach. But as men are driven more and more out of education, this voice, the voice that says to the crying child who got his nose bloody during dodgeball, hey, rub some dirt on it, you'll be fine. Now get back out there and try to win the next round. That voice has been almost entirely silenced. Now a kid gets his nose bloodied playing dodgeball, and so we say, no more dodgeball for anybody. It's over. Now we have a system where there's almost no competition, no harshness at all, no toughness, no winners or losers. Kids are coddled, they're mothered, they're pampered, and they're not remotely prepared for the realities of life. It's not just in the education system. As men are minimized more and more, replaced, driven out of positions of leadership and so on, all that means is that our society will be increasingly revolving around feminine concerns like equality, tolerance, inclusion. You find this in parenting as well. You know, you need the balance in parenting. You have the the mother who typically is, again, gonna be very concerned about, about making sure things are fair, uh, it's going to be the, the much more empathetic voice, and you need that. That's very important. But you also need the masculine, fatherly voice that embraces competition, that embraces risk taking. You know that the kid s- scrapes their knee, and he's not going f- to g- run over immediately. He's going to say, "No, get, get back. You don't need to cry about that. You'll be fine. Get back out there." Children need both, but you know, increasingly, as as men. As we have fatherless homes and, and families where there's, no, where there's no masculine presence, kids don't have that balance. So why is it a problem? You know, what's wrong with equality? Well, the problem with equality is that it's a fiction. It's a mythology. There is no equality in the world. The only place where equality is, is supposed to exist is in the legal system. Okay, we're supposed to all be equal under the law, meaning that nobody is granted special treatment or favors. But even there, it's still really a fiction. We do not have a legal system that treats everybody equally, and we never have, and we probably never will. It is, at best, a theoretically attainable ideal in the legal system. We're probably never going to get there, but we should try. I agree with that. Outside of that realm, equality neither exists, nor is it attainable, nor desirable. Because everyone is different. Everything is different. You will not find two apples in a barrel that are the same, or two grains of sand on a beach, much less two people. Take two people at random and compare them, and one will be uglier, fatter, dumber, less virtuous, less creative, less generous, etc. Hopefully, all of those lesser qualities will not be found in the same person, but you never know. We're all a mixed bag, and for some of us, the mixture is better than others. This is all undeniable. The advocates for an equal society, a society where sameness is opposed upon us from the top, from people who are themselves above us, unequal, by the way, these advocates know that we're not really equal, Yet they argue that we should live as though we are. Our system should be built upon the false assumption of equality. Equality is a story that they tell, and they insist that we live as though the story is true, even though we know it isn't. In the most extreme kind of example, you know, you've got like a man who identifies as a woman and harasses and harangues lesbians who don't want to sleep with him. He'll say that he's equal to the same as biological women, and so they ought to be attracted to him the same way that they're attracted to other women. But they're not. Because equality is a story, it's a stage play. And the equality advocate demands that everybody play their part, go along with the script, even if it's all fictional. So that's my issue with equality, when you boil it down. It's a lie. We're not equal. We weren't really created equal either, with all due respect to Thomas Jefferson. We're equal in a very abstract and spiritual sense, in the sense that we all have dignity and worth as human beings, sure. But outside of that, we were created very unequal, very different, with vastly different qualities, characteristic traits, and abilities. And thank God for that. Imagine how boring and dismal and pointless life would be if everyone you encountered was merely a carbon copy of yourself. Imagine if there was no one better than you on Earth. No one to look up to or admire. No role models. That's the leftist utopian vision. But the vision is a nightmare. And it's not real. And never can be. And we should stop pretending that it is. And that's why Equality Today is cancelled. A segment that I'm sure will Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vadosky. The show is edited by Ali Hinkle. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart, And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Walsh Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2021. The United States Navy names a ship after an infamous pederast, a tabloid journalist tries to meet too Dave Portnoy at Barstool Sports, and an appeals judge puts a stop to Joe Biden's vaccine mandate. For now, check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.